The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. Please leave us a review. If you like this show, if you care about the information we're putting out there, it would mean so much for you to leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. Also, subscribe. All the platforms let you do it. It has been a while since we've got any additional information about COVID. It seemed like at one point, COVID and the vaccine was all we talked about. Now, it's pretty much gone silent. But I still have questions and there's still important information for you to know. To get answers, I reached out to one of the foremost authorities on vaccines in the world, Dr. Paul Offit. Dr. Offit helped to create the rotavirus vaccine, which has been attributed to saving millions of lives. We got into the details here, and you are going to learn a lot from this interview. Check it out. When the vaccine was first coming out, there was all this information of like, okay, get vaccinated, get your booster, second booster's out. But then they just stopped updating us. And it's like, I don't know if I need an annual booster, if I don't need one because I'm healthy, or what's the, I mean, what's the right call here? It's been confusing. I completely agree with you. I think if you asked 100 Americans, what does it mean to be fully protected against this virus? I think you'd probably get 100 different answers. So here's what I would say. As the dust has settled on this, I think for healthy young people, and I'm describing young as anybody less than 65 who who don't have comorbidities, who don't have chronic heart disease or lung disease or obesity or diabetes, I think for them, either three doses of, of a vaccine, either uh, mRNA vaccine or the purified protein vaccine, Novavax, th- three doses of a vaccine where at least two of those doses are separated by four months, or two doses of a vaccine and one natural infection probably provides fairly long-lived protection against serious disease, because that's the goal of this vaccine. It's to prevent serious illness, meaning the kind of illness that causes you to go to the hospital or go to the intensive care unit or die. That's the goal of this vaccine. It's not to prevent all mild disease. So I think in terms of like the yearly booster, I, I think my feeling on this is the same of most other countries. I mean, if you look at the policies that are put out by the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Australia, um, the Scandinavian countries, the World Health Organization, probably the best way to approach these booster doses is to target high-risk groups, meaning the groups most likely to be hospitalized. It seems like vaccines have such a political connotation to them. You're either pro-vax or you're anti-vax. And, you know, we want everyone to get vaccinated or no one. Or It seems like it's a more nuanced conversation. I assume that's how you feel, too. Well, the science isn't new. I mean, the, the, if you haven't been vaccinated, get vaccinated. And I'm talking about anybody over six months of age. If you look at who's currently being hospitalized, the, the group most, the age group most likely to be hospitalized are those over 75. The second group most likely to be hospitalized are children under four. 
Why? Because only 5% of them have been fully vaccinated. I mean, 95% of children under four right now are not adequately vaccinated. So vaccinate them. I mean, I'm the new grandparent of a now nine-month-old uh, granddaughter, and I'm certainly um, talking to my, my daughter-in-law about how important it is for this baby now nine months of age to be vaccinated. Because what happens is most mothers at this point or have been vaccinated or naturally infected. So they will passively transfer through the placenta antibodies that will protect that baby for about six months. But once six months is, is gone, that baby is fully susceptible to a virus that will be circulating in this country and this world probably for decades. Remember, there are four strains of human coronavirus currently circulating, all of which were spillover events from animals to people. One of them entered the human population in the late 1700s. Another one entered the human population in the late 1800s. Let's assume this virus is going to be with us for a long time. And there's no reason to have a child who now at six months of age is fully susceptible to this virus to leave them at risk. There's no advantage to being naturally infected. You'd much rather be vaccinated than naturally infected because natural infection can kill you. Although it's true that you're less likely to die as a, say, a less than 18-year-old than a greater than 65-year-old, a thousandfold less likely. Still, almost 2,000 children in this country have died from this virus. That's incredible. And that's not something that you really think about that much. I think the attitude of some is like, well, I'm a, I'm a healthy adult. COVID has gotten weaker. So if I haven't got vaccinated, I kind of get a pass now. Your response? COVID's not weaker. I mean, it's weaker in the sense that we have a high level of population immunity, which is to say most people have now been naturally infected or vaccinated. Most people have hybrid immunity. So it looks like the virus itself is weaker. But if you look at, for example, studies recently out of Singapore, where you look at people who've never been naturally infected or vaccinated and then look to see, you know, what the clinical consequences are if you look at the current Omicron strains as compared to, say, previous alpha or delta variants, this virus is just as, as virulent as those earlier uh, viruses. The only difference is we have a high level of population immunity. So if you're if you're over six months of age and you've never been naturally infected or vaccinated, you are at risk of severe disease. So get vaccinated. And I think people who just sort of deny it um, are just uh, it's just an anti-science standpoint. Um, it's, there's not a you're right. I think there's a politics to this, which is unfortunate because that really hasn't been true in the past. What about if someone's had COVID five times or more, does that lead to more problems than if they just got it once? Like, does it compile on itself or is it like you could get it 10 times and it's still the same deal? So it's a respiratory virus. I think this will settle out as a winter respiratory virus. I think, you you know, you, you can see people who have had multiple, although five is a lot, but multiple mild infections. I think that's okay. I, I don't think it nothing piles up. If anything, you just broaden and lengthen your immunity. But I think at that point, you probably can feel pretty comfortable. You're not going to get a serious infection that when you get COVID, it's going to be a mild two-day illness. What about long-term COVID? That was something we were talking a lot about before and I haven't heard about recently. Is long-term COVID really a thing or are we learning more about it? Well, it's certainly a thing. I think it's more than one thing. I think it has a variety of different uh, causes. To some extent, it can be sort of small uh, blood clots, say, in the lungs or other organs. To some extent, it can be uh, a dysfunctional or aberrant immune response. I mean, to some extent, it may be that the virus is continuing to reproduce itself. So I think long COVID probably has a lot of different uh, pathological basis, bases. But 
Um, I, I think in terms of uh, protecting yourself against long COVID, there's clearly evidence that if you're vaccinated, you're less likely to have long COVID. If you receive one dose of vaccine, you're even less likely to receive two doses of vaccine, then you get COVID, you're even less likely to get long COVID. And to some extent, even three doses and then get COVID, you're less likely. I don't think there's any advantage beyond that, beyond the third dose in terms of protecting you against long COVID. When If you got three doses and then get COVID, and as compared to four doses and get COVID, I'm not sure there's an, uh, an advantage to that additional dose for preventing long COVID. This COVID, like I think about antibiotics and it's like they say, don't get too many antibiotics because then the disease mutates and changes and gets worse or, you know, at least different. Is the same thing true for vaccines? Like, are we, by taking vaccines, are we mutating COVID somehow? Uh, COVID, uh, well, all viruses mutate. The question is, do they evolve away from recognition, antibody or, or immune recognition from either vaccination or natural infection? And viruses are different. Right? SARS-CoV-2 virus continues to evolve, period. And if, if there was no vaccine, the virus would continue to evolve. That's the way this, which, which happened. I mean, look at, at the first year. We went from, from the original Wuhan strain to, to a, so the so-called D614G variant, to the alpha variant, to the delta variant, before we had really any vaccines that were available. So, so that that it does it on its own. And some viruses do and some viruses don't. I mean, you look measles, for example, which like SARS-CoV-2 viruses, a single-stranded RNA virus has never evolved away from uh, recognition, immune recognition that's induced by vaccines. Neither has rubella, German measles, neither has mumps. Um, so, and they're all very similar to SARS-CoV-2, and they're all single-stranded RNA viruses. But some viruses act differently than others. This one is, is uh, it evolves. But the good news is it doesn't really evolve away from something called T-cell recognition. So you really have two effector arms of your immune system. You have antibodies, and then you have T-cells. So T-cells are some one type of T-cells are so-called uh, cytotoxic T-cells, meaning killer T-cells. They kill virus-infected cells. And, and the sites recognized when the virus really have not evolved much at all. So that's why people are still protected against serious disease, uh, because that those T-cell uh, recognition sites, the so-called immunologically distinct sites or epitopes, have not really evolved. So that's, that's the good news. T-cells are, in many ways, the unsung hero of this pandemic. I mean, if you look at when Omicron came into the U.S., although the number of cases dramatically increased, the number of serious cases, meaning hospitalization and deaths, really didn't, because you still had those sort of shared T-cell recognition sites that have been true from Wuhan 1 right all the way up now to the, the current circulating strains. That, that really, those T-cell recognition sites really haven't evolved that much, and that's good news. If that happens, if the, this virus evolves away from T-cell recognition, we're starting all over again. Is there any chance of that happening? Like, could it just get worse and we're in a worse place than ever? I don't think so. There, there's much less pressure on those T-cell recognition sites than on the antibody sites. I mean, the virus just wants to bind and enter. Um, and once it enters, then the T-cells sort of do their thing. Um, but the good news is it takes if there's any good news about a pandemic, it, it takes um, a while to develop serious disease. So all you need is immunological memory cells. So memory T cells, which are generally long lived, can be protect you against uh, serious disease. I mean, so I'll take myself. I got three doses of the vaccine six months after my third dose, which was like in May of 2022. I had a mild two day illness. I think I have hybrid immunity. I think I have long lived T cell responses. So even though I'm over 65, I don't have comorbidities. I think I'm probably protected for a while. I understand, you know, getting vaccinated is important. Are there any other precautions that families or even schools should be taking that we're not thinking about? I think I think the, the one thing that gets undersold here a little bit is that 
if the, the, what, what is one thing that these groups who are at highest risk have in common? And I mean by highest risk, people who have serious health problems, people that are elderly, people that are immune compromised, people that are pregnant. What, what they all have in common to some extent is some of them don't make a very good immune response. That even when they get a vaccine, they don't make a very good immune response. My mother's 94 years old. She got a COVID booster this year. I don't think she's probably making a great immune response to that because of her age. But should she get respiratory symptoms, congestion, cough, runny nose, fever, she should test herself. And if she's COVID positive, she should take an antiviral. I mean, I think it's the antivirals are really underused because if you look, CDC has data on theirs, you're much more likely to die in the hospital if you didn't take an antiviral coming in. What about the vaccine? Have we learned more about it specifically? Like, is there side effects that we didn't expect or something went better than expected? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the FDA Vaccine Advisory Committee. So when we looked at those data back in December of 2020, um, the studies that were done, Pfizer was a 40,000 person study, Moderna was a 30,000 person study. So we looked at all those data carefully, but you knew that, that, that you were making a recommendation because at the time, you know, the, the issue is, do you know enough to say this vaccine is effective? Yes, it was, you know, in the mid 90% effective for serious disease. Do we know enough to say that it's it's uh, safe? Well, those are tens of thousands of people and you're about to make a recommendation for tens of millions and hundreds of millions of likely billions of people. So you know there's gonna be something that could come up that's rare that you can't see in a trial of only 40,000 people. And that's what happened. I mean, with, with myocarditis, you know, this inflammation of the heart muscle that occurred in roughly one in 50,000 people. But remember that also occurs with a virus. The virus also causes myocarditis and, and more severely and, uh, and more fatally. And with the J&J &J vaccine, I mean, that was the Johnson & Johnson, you know, vectored virus vaccine. That was a very rare cause of blood clots. Um, that was not anticipated, that this, this, this vector, this adenovirus vector that was the J&J &J vaccine, into which was, you know, cloned the, the, uh, the DNA that coded for the spike protein. You, you didn't know that that was going to be, clotting would be a problem, including severe clotting, including clotting in the brain, including fatal clotting, which could occur, you know, in one in 200,000 people, which is why that vaccine is now not given in this country anymore. So, you know, you, you, you don't know. I mean, you learn as you go, but the good news is you have systems in place in this country, like the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System or the Vaccine Safety Data Link, where very quickly you can pick up these very, very rare events, events that can only pick, be picked up post-approval or post-licensure. It sounds like some of what you're saying then is there's possible side effects, but the risk of the side effects is a lot lower than the risk of something you could get from COVID. I think a worry people have is like, well, what if we discover in 15 years it affects you this way and everyone just sort of grows some kind of tumor or something, <laughs> you know? So we've had vaccines since the late late 1700s. So we've had a couple hundred years of vaccines. Um, and certainly there are serious and occasionally fatal side effects. I mean, the oral polio vaccine, for example, Albert Sabin's oral polio vaccine introduced in this country in the early 60s is a rare cause of polio. Um, the yellow fever vaccine um, was a rare cause of essentially something that's called viscerotropic disease, which is a fancy way of saying yellow fever which can be fatal. So um, sure, vaccines can cause serious side effects. The influenza vaccine given in 1976 was a rare cause of Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is this ascending paralysis. So, so vaccines certainly can cause serious disease, but when they do, it always occurs within, within two months of the vaccine. Uh, narcolepsy, which is a, a, uh, a problem, permanent disorder of wakefulness was a problem with the uh, 2009 swine flu vaccine given in Europe, the pandemics vaccine. All this occurs within two months. 
So there has never been an instance where a virus, a vaccine was shown to cause something that came up five years later, 10 years later. If it's going to happen, it'll happen within a couple of months, because that makes sense. It's, it's either the virus vaccine itself or the immune response to the vaccine, which occurs fairly quickly, are the cause of that. So why would it occur 10 years later? Got it. So in all of human history, that has never happened. That's correct. I mean, we always say that. We always say, well, how do you know? You know, 10 years, 30 years now. But that's a common trope, but it's never happened before. Mm -hmm. I guess, how do you know anything that will happen in the future? You kind of look at what's happened in the past. You're, you're no, you, never, you never know everything. I mean, the question when you make decisions about vaccination is when do you know enough? And remember that a choice not to get a vaccine is not a free choice. It's a choice to take a different and I think in, in all, almost all cases more serious risk. To do nothing is a choice in itself. Exactly. Do you think there's any chance that something like COVID could happen again? Or are we better prepared so that we don't have to do a lockdown again? It can definitely happen again. I mean, you had SARS-1 in 2002, you had MERS in 2012, you have SARS-CoV-2 in 2019. That's three pandemic viruses in the last 20 years. Do I think that it could happen again? Absolutely. I think actually these spillover events where viruses spill over from animals to man and then have the potential to become a pandemic, I think that happens all the time. I just think sometimes it just hits and when it hits and then it spreads, which is what happened in the wholesale uh, market in, when, in the Western section of the wholesale market in Wuhan, uh, China, that, that just hit and that spillover event. And now we, we, we see this. this is not a lab leak, by the way. This was what you just what you would expect, the spillover. A human that was what leak. I was going to ask you off air. Is, uh, is it a lab leak or not? No, no, it is not a lab leak. It's just, it amazes me that two thirds of the American people still believe this because I think that's sort of the political sense of this, but it's a blame somebody. But first of all, there's never been a pandemic virus that was created in the lab ever. So if you're, if you're going to claim that, and if you believe Carl Sagan's line that extraordinary claims should be backed by extraordinary evidence, this is an extraordinary claim that's backed by no evidence, just sort of conspiracy and innuendo. Well, if you look at the, the data from, from that was generated by China when this first happened, they went to the Western section of the Wuhan uh, wholesale seafood market because that's where all those early cases were. And they tested like the raccoon dogs and the, the cages that the animals were in. And they tested like the, the material that was used to, or the, the uh, equipment that was used to kill the animals or sacrifice the animals. And they tested like the brushing, you know, things that we used to brush that. It all had genetic evidence of SARS-CoV-2. That's where the virus started. So do I think it will be happening again? Yes. Do I think we're better prepared? In some ways, I think we're less prepared because what's happened is I think with this, this pandemic is we leaned into this libertarian left hook. So there's now been hundreds and hundreds of, of lawsuits or litigation against or legislation against mandates. So now you know you're not going to have a federal vaccine mandate. You're not going to have a federal mask mandate. And that's been true of many state and local uh, uh, jurisdictions as well. In fact, there's been such a pushback against vaccine mandates that now like one third of American parents say, I don't think there should be even school vaccine mandates for any vaccine. So I think we're less prepared. Somehow the word vaccine in some people's mouths has become a dirty word and we are going to pay the price for that. Yeah, well, it just seems like we're not willing to go back inside for a long period of time again. And it's um, what, what are some closing words you want to leave us with or a thought you want us to walk away with? I, th I think it's that we learn as we go. And, and I think we should be tolerant of that. You know, th this was a new virus. Uh, we were meeting it with a novel technology, messenger RNA, and we did learn as we went. And I just found that if, for example, public health officials said something that was that was shown later to be incorrect, 
That doesn't mean you completely discard everything any public health official says after that. Um, it just means I guess we should should do a better job of explaining that when, when we make a recommendation or make a claim that we say as far as what we know now, but you know, things things do evolve. There's never been in the history of medicine a an example of any advance, whether it's antibiotics or gene therapy or or you know, x-ray technology or vaccines that has not been associated with some human price. I actually wrote a book about that called You Bet Your Life. Um, which sort of goes through all that within in our medical advances that we always learn as we go. I almost call it the learning curve, but people are intolerant of that. I mean, I think if you ask people, um, do you think we're gonna know more about science and medicine a hundred years from now than we know now? I think everybody would probably say yes, but when it comes to your disease, or in this case, our pandemic, they wanna believe that you know everything that, that you need to know, which is almost never true. Well, I appreciate just your honesty and straightforwardness with all of this and for taking the time to be here today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Paul Offit. It really means so much to us that you take the time to come on the show and to share all this amazing information that you have. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.